First Peter chapter 5. I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The opposite of boldness is anxiety or fear. So it's not surprising that God at Bethlehem would not only be calling us to be bold, but also would be providing us with means for getting rid of anxieties. To, to take your anxiety and to give you boldness are two ways of saying the same thing. This morning's text is not a direct call to boldness. It's an indirect one because it's a call to be free of anxiety. That's just the flip side of the coin of courage or boldness or risk-taking is to have your anxieties taken away. Now, there's something very unusual about this text. And what's unusual about it is the threat to your peace that tends to create anxiety. What is it in this text that seems to take the anxiety level up so that Peter needs to come in and help you get rid of the anxiety. It's not prison. It's not injury. It's not slander. It's not plundering of property. It's not losing your money like we've seen in previous weeks. It's humility. The big threat that makes anxiety rise in this text is the call to humility. Let me show you that so you can see it in the flow of the verses from verses 5 to 7. The chapter begins in verse 1 by calling the elders of the churches to shepherd the flock of God willingly, eagerly, not with sordid gain in their eyes as though money were the thing in ministry. And then it turns to the young man, and then it turns to everybody. Let me start reading at verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders... And then here comes the whole church being addressed. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Here we see this thing. It's going to come now several times. 
Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. There it is again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, just stop here. Here comes the connection. The end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. Here comes the connection between the call to humility and the need to get your anxiety solved. And we need to ask, what's the connection here? What's the connection between verses 6 and 7, or 5 and 6 and 7? Now, the, the NIV... I'm going to do a little version analysis here. The NIV and the Revised Standard Version all put a period there. So verse 7 starts, cast your anxieties on him. If you have a New American Standard, that's what's in the pew pocket, or the King James Version, there is no period because the word cast is a participle. Ooh, big radical word, sorry. But... Good to know those things. Kids, it is, really is. Helps you read the Bible. A participle, an I-N-G word, continuing the thought of what went before. Now, that's right. There's no period in the Greek. It's a participle. Now, to get that straight, let me try to, to, to read it for you the way it would, uh, the way it would go. Starting at verse 5. Clothe yourselves with humility toward each other. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting your anxiety on God. Now, that's the flow of thought you've got to catch hold of. Humble yourself under God, casting your anxiety on Him. It's not as though humbling yourself under God is one thing. Now, you're done with that. Now, what's the next thing I should do, Peter? Oh, okay, I will cast now my Anxiety on God. It's not like that. It's not like do this and a minute later do that. As though they're totally separate things. It's to put it in as close as we can. Humble yourself casting your anxiety. There's something about humbling yourself that makes this urgent. There's something about casting your anxiety on the Lord that makes humbling yourself possible. There's a connection here that you might miss if you just saw a period, closed your Bible that day and started reading the next day. It's humble yourself casting your anxiety on Him. Now, why? Why does humility create anxiety that needs to be cast on the Lord? That's the implication, I think, that's here. To hear Peter say, now... Clothe yourself with humility toward each other this morning. When you pray, when you leave and talk in the commons, clothe yourself with humility toward each other. Something about that sends anxiety up in the heart. Why? Well, if you just stop and think for a minute what humility is and does, I think you'll, you'll get it. Here's, when I just stopped, stood back and asked, now what what is it going to look like when John Piper clothes himself with humility among his congregation? And here's what I came up with. Number one, it would mean when you've made a mistake, you admit it and you say, cloak the mistake over and make yourself look better. That's not humility. That's pride. 
Secondly, if you're weak or you're sick or you're inadequate for a task, it means not being too proud to ask for help. Humility would ask for help. It wouldn't try to conceal, well, you're not supposed to have this problem or you're not supposed to feel this way or pastors aren't supposed to deal with that or... So if you've got a, a weakness, you you ask for help. Third, it means doing some ordinary jobs. Not just the highfalutin jobs. Paul says, be taken up with the lowly. So that's the fourth thing. It means hobnobbing with ordinary people and not feeling like, well, I don't want to spend time with them because there's no... Pay off. It's not humility talking. It's not Christ talking. And so there, there are four things, at least, that it would mean for me and you if we clothed ourselves with humility towards each other and humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, when you step back from those four things and you look at them and what they might cost, you know what they're going to cost? Every one of them runs the risk of losing face. Every one of them, every act of humility runs the risk of losing face. If you admit a weakness, they may not say, oh, look how Christ-like and humble. They might say, what? Or if you make a mistake and go public and admit it, instead of saying, oh my, he's humble, that's good, they might say, That they're going to get you. Or if you op operate by dealing with just ordinary people and go out there, well, you might lose some status. Every act of humility runs the risk of losing face, losing strokes, losing appreciation, losing uh, high esteem in certain groups and being ignored and being unappreciated and losing face are all painful. We don't like it, and therefore it causes anxiety to rise in the heart. Humility, if you live it out radically, the way Jesus lived out humility radically, will be costly to your ego, and that makes you anxious. I think far more anxiety happens in our hearts because of ego threats than money threats. Money threats, sure, they cause, it causes anxiety, but ego threats, like, what will they think of me? I'll look like an absolute idiot if I try to say this, or if I, if I get into a huddle and pray during praying the vision and I don't pray, they'll think I'm unspiritual or some absolute... This is awful! That's the kind of threat that makes anxiety rise. But humility would go ahead and take the risk. And so there's a tension between verse 6 and verse 7 here. Verse 6 says, come on, let's be humble with each other. Let's be transparent with each other. Let's be gracious and open. And there goes the anxiety level. And that's why we get verse 7. Be humble by casting all your anxiety on God. 
The secret of humility is being able to cast your anxiety on God. If you can't cast your anxiety on God, you know what you'll be? You'll be a posturer. You'll posture yourself so as to get the right strokes, to be accepted, to avoid criticism, not to take any risks, never to lose faith. Whole cultures are built on this posturing. Not right. And the key is cast your anxiety about that on the Lord. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. I love this conjunction of images here. Before you can put yourself under God's mighty hand humbly, you've got to take your anxiety and confidently put it in his mighty hand. You see that connection? I want to make sure you see that. That's one of the most exciting things I saw in this text. There is a fearful cowering under the hand of God. Oh, he's going to get me. There is that. That's not what this text is talking about when it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because the very next verse says, relax, cast your anxiety on God. So here you are under God and your anxieties are on God. Before you can evangelically, gospel-like, get under God with His mighty, holy, sovereign hand over you, humbling yourself under there. Before you can do that, you've got to stoop down and take all this anxiety stuff and know this God as one who cares for you, lay the anxiety stuff on top of God, then you go under God. And then it's a totally different experience if you try to get under there with that anxiety stuff. Because he will not be trusted and therefore his hand will be heavy upon you until you trust him. But if you put the anxiety on top of him and then go under him, he is carrying it. He's exerting his weight up to hold that off of you and you are sheltered underneath the hand. If that anxiety is underneath, he's coming down until you get rid of it. So the beauty of this imagery here is you've got this mighty hand that creates and upholds the universe, holy, sovereign, infinite in power, and you're told, go under there. And then you're told, and as you go under, take your anxiety and on that powerful hand, put it up there because he can carry it. In fact, he wants to carry it very, very much. Now, what does that mean? Let me, let me try to make it as practical as I can. What Spiritually, what's the transaction between getting your anxiety off of your back and onto God's back? That's what this text says in verse 7. Get your anxiety, which is weighing you down, making your heart and your... Chest kind of go tense. How do you get that out of here up onto God so you can just rest underneath in the shade? The word casting is used one other time in the New Testament. Kind of a homely usage. I like it. It's risky, the imagery. Um, one other time, it's exactly the same participle, right down to the letter. In Luke 19.35, the situation is that uh, Jesus, it's Palm Sunday, and Jesus has sent for the donkey that he's going to ride on. And uh, they bring it, and it says in verse 35, they brought it to Jesus and, casting their garments on the colt, they set Jesus on it. That's the only other place the word is used. So the one biblical picture we have, here's the risk, of God carrying your burdens is of a donkey carrying your coat. Sorry. 
the Bible has risky images in it, like he'll come like a thief in the night, Jesus like a thief, and here's God like a donkey. Now, I hope that doesn't take your vision down, but lifts it up, because this is some kind of donkey. God loves to magnify his power in carrying your anxiety. God loves to flex his muscles to show the whole world how utterly wonderful and unique his gracious burden-bearing power is. Let me just quote you some verses. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to work for you to show how he can give rest. Psalm 55:22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. You don't sustain him, he sustains you. Isaiah 46:4. This is especially for you gray heads. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. The contrast there is to the gods Bel and Nebo who are riding on ox carts. Isaiah watches these pagan gods being carried on ox carts and he says, Your gods have to be carried. My God carries. There's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. In fact, Tom quoted it in his prayer, Isaiah 64, 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. That means there isn't any. No eye has seen a God besides thee who works donkey-like for those who wait for him. You need a pack animal in your life? Things too heavy for you? You can't make it up this hill that's in front of you? God is not ashamed to be called your pack animal. Isn't that amazing? Because there is a subtle thing here about thinking we can bear our own loads in life. It's a pride thing. When we were marching down Hennepin Avenue yesterday and the, the protesters were there, the banner that I saw said, no gods and no masters. And in the middle, ironically, is a picture of Satan or something like Satan. Oh, that's strange. But you know, the reason that's so sad is because it also means no pack animals. Thank you. Don't need your animals. Don't need your God to carry my sin. Don't need your God to carry my anxieties. Thank you. What a tragedy. God wills to be known as a gracious, holy, sovereign, burden-bearing God in your life because the one who bears the burden gets the glory for making it to the end. Now, how do you do that? How do you take, like a garment, your anxiety and put it on God? I think the key is in noticing the two parts of verse 7. The first part says, casting all your anxiety on him. And the second part says, because he cares for you. And I think the key then in this 
Anxiety transfer is trusting that promise. Trusting that promise. This is it now. This is, this is as practical as I know to make it. I, I don't mean general trusting. Okay? Everybody in this room almost probably would say, God is trustworthy. Or God is good. God is uh, able to do what he said. Um, just general kind of trusting. What I'm calling for, and I believe what Peter is calling for here, is a specific kind of trusting. This promise doesn't hang in the air. It's connected to a command. Cast your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. So you don't just kind of trust God in the abstract and say, yeah, in general, God's good. Yeah, in general, he kind of generally works things out for you. That's not it. It's this morning when you wake up with this anxiety on this chest for this 10 o'clock meeting, that's what you trust him for. You say, God told me to let this go and to put it on him. Then he followed that with this promise. I care about you. That must mean he cares about 10 o'clock. Not 50 years from now, not heaven, merely 10 o'clock, or one this afternoon, or praying the vision in 15 minutes. Now there's where the rubber meets the road. Can we do that? Will we do that? Will you moment by moment in your life take it in the moment of the, of the press and say, Lord, I know that you care about me because you said so. And I know that you are God and you don't let things develop without your influence. And I know that you are wiser than I. And I know that you will work at 10 o'clock and I now let it go and lay it down. Help me. Every day, every day, moment by moment. Here's an illustration about... Uh, 33 minutes ago, you didn't know this, Dean, but uh, Dean walks up to me downstairs with the, with the bullet and he says, why don't you walk up to the pulpit just before the the uh, the song? I kind of looked at him. I didn't know that I had the pastoral prayer. I had missed it. I always prepare for the pastoral prayer. I spend a half an hour to an hour on the pastoral prayer. As we're walking up here, he says, why don't you just walk up? What for? And I saw my name, pastoral prayer. So I didn't tell them because I didn't want them thinking about it. But I was thinking about it. And God came. God came. And they will come for you. He will. He won't always come in the timing that you want, and he won't always fix the circumstances the way you think they should be fixed. A lost credit card, mega anxiety. A lost credit card might result in an evening of searching in which you don't watch that television program, which unbeknownst to you was going to have a lustful scene in it, that was going to fill your mind with a sexual thought that was going to make it almost impossible for you to have a season of prayer 
which was going to prepare you to have power the next day for a situation God was bringing to you in witness. That's why your card was lost. You never know that. Never in a million years would you know these things. God knows 10 million connections in your life you don't have any idea about. And therefore, let us be slow to say, if you cared for me, you'd fix this marriage. You'd fix this car. You'd fix this car's clutch. You'd get me a job. You'd heal this disease. If you cared, don't talk to God that way. God knows what's good for you. Cry out to Him for all the blessing and lifting of loads, but don't tell Him how He must run the world. He knows what He's doing. One other thing I want to say about how you cast your burden of anxiety on the Lord, and it has to do with prayer. Those of you who are tracking with me and know the Scriptures are thinking of Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. There it is now. That's a different answer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So, 1 Peter 5, 7, you should know these two verses. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxiety on the Lord by trusting His promise that He cares for you. And Philippians 4, 6 says, cast your anxiety on the Lord by letting your requests be made known to Him in prayer. Now, how do those two relate to each other? It's real simple, I think. This simply tells you how to express the faith that's over here. Cast your anxiety by trusting this promise. Cast your anxiety by expressing that trust in prayer to God. And that's what we're going to be doing here in just a few minutes. This summer, as you can tell from this yellow sheet, is full of anxiety producing Possibilities. Recreational outreach, invitation to the gate, survey teams door to door, street teams for witnessing, making appointments uh, for people that you know you'd love to talk to about the Lord, bar ministry, uh, drama in various locations, etc. And many of us have formed long habits of when we feel that kind of anxiety rising, phew, we're off. We're out of here. Television, other less threatening things. And, and I just want to ask you to come now and pray in the next 45 minutes that God would take the vision of himself as a burden-bearing God and give us incredible courage as a church. Every Sunday morning for the next 12 weeks, we're going to do this. If it's 10 people who stay or 850 people who stay, we're going to pray. Because I know that if we want fruit, if we want to change church, change society, the unreached people's met, it'll come by the power of God, which comes in answer to prayer. And so I invite you now to pray with me as we get on the bridge. Well, Father in heaven, I 
ask that you would come now. And in the next hour or so, meet us in prayer. And I know that some are anxious about whether they should stay and pray because some have never, some in this room have never prayed out loud in their life. Not in a huddle or not anywhere. And I just, I pray that you would help them feel that they don't have to out loud. That there would be a settling peace upon this room right now to free people to be transparent and candid in prayer before you and before one another. I commend to you this venture of faith and prayer, and I ask that your anointing now, Father, right now, would come. And as people need to leave and as children go, and as we worship, grant, I pray, that your spirit would come. In Jesus' name, amen.